Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cold Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. And I'm Colleen. Today, we are so excited to have a four-time Emmy-winning actress, two Golden Globes, Patricia Richardson. And I know that you know her from Home Improvement, you know, one of our favorite moms from then. And also, she has just been in a ton of other work as well. So right now, she has another movie out, Chantilly Bridge on Amazon Prime, which is with a slew of other wonderful actresses. Talia Shire, Joe Beth Williams, who we've had on the show before, is the narrator. Jill Eikenberry, Ali Sheedy, wonderful actresses on this. So make sure that you watch that on Amazon Prime. Make sure that you rate it. Go to Rotten Tomatoes. Give it a great review because we really want to see more women in our demographic out there making shows, making movies for for us. It's so nice to see this ensemble cast of great actresses out there. Yes, and we had such an amazing conversation with Patricia Richardson that we actually had to cut it in half. So we actually had to edit and cut it in half because it was almost two hours long. And I don't think you guys wanted to hear us like chit-chat away for two hours. But we cut it in half. So the first half will be today and the second half will be on Friday. This particular episode, we're going to be talking about Chantilly Bridge, but we're also going to be talking about how she got her part as Jill on Home Improvement. And, you know, she really had an interesting story on how she was cast. It was very quick. She had just had the twins and she was hesitant to start another role on a comedy sitcom where she played a wife. But she ended up doing it and boy, did she make the right decision because that show is just, uh, you know, a staple of it's television a, it's classic comedy. and iconic. I mean, so many references to it. You always think of a neighbor in Alice Wilson, you know, behind right, the fence. That's true. So you always- <laughs> always do the neighbor you talk to him but you don't see their face just through the bushes or through the fence you know that's where we got that exactly and I also love West Wing I love everything about West Wing it's one of my favorite shows and she had a recurring role on West Wing and she talks about how it was during a challenging time of her life this stage of life we always have similar stories of children getting older our parents having kind of that sandwich generation so she talks about that as well now on Friday's episode you are going to hear about a big announcement Bridget and I are sharing on June 1st and if you would like more information please go to our website hotflashescooltopics.com go to our Instagram go anywhere because we are going to be shouting it from the rooftops Bridget and I have listened for the past three and a half years to all of the comments and issues and topics that our listeners tell us they want to hear about. And we have decided to put that all into one spectacular announcement. So make sure you are following us on all forms of social media or check out our website because this is this you will hear on the Friday episode, but it actually goes live June 1st. So you could check it out tomorrow on our website. So now Let's, if you have any questions about the show notes, you can always check our website under the show notes for this episode as well. We are going to start our conversation with Patricia Richardson. We'll talk to you after. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics today. We are really excited to have Golden Globe nominee, Emmy nominee actress Patricia Richardson, who you will remember as Jill from On Home Improvement, the mom. But she is in a great movie that is actually a sequel called Chantilly Bridge. It is a sequel to Chantilly Lace, and we are going to talk all about it. So welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much for having me and giving me this opportunity to tell your audience, which is really the perfect audience for our movie, um, about this movie. Because um, unfortunately, our distributors didn't do any advertising at all. In fact, they didn't give us a, a theater in New York, and we only had a theater in New York because a friend of Linda's got us into the uh, Angelica Village East. And then we extended because we did so well uh, the first week. And we did better. There were 11 films there. We were number one the first weekend and number two the whole rest of the week. And people love it. So if you have any doubts about watching it, we didn't get to have the really big reviewers come, but there are a few uh, reviews there and mostly mixed to good. And the audience reviews are fantastic. We're, I think, at 96%, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Rotten Tomatoes for the audience reviews. And, and we have been surprised to find that men are like crying at the end. I don't know if it's because of the particular storylines that came in at the end and they all have somebody maybe who they're dealing with that or um, whether it has to do with their wives their girl, or whether it's because the movie is so um, universally about the importance of friendships and how lucky you are if you have friendships that go back to your early life and that you have stayed, that you've worked on, you've worked on that friendship and kept it. That's one of the things that I think Helen's character talks about, Helen Slater's character talks about later, is that friendship is like a romance. It's like any relationship. Sometimes it takes a lot of work, you know, and forgiveness. And it's, I am very unfortunate and I really envied the characters in this movie because um, my parents were Navy and, um, and then my dad was just successful in getting better jobs and we were constantly moving. I never went to one school longer than two years in my life. And so I pretty much lost touch. Uh, even high school, it was like broken up in the middle and we moved, you know, half the country away. And so I have a couple of friends from that last high school that I still see and talk to and did theater with back then. We all got into theater together uh, those last two years in high school. And so I have a few of those and then a few from college, which was down there also SMU. But nothing like what these women in this film have, which is since childhood mm -hmm. and you know, and then they kept up. Now, when the movie first starts, I don't think they've seen each other since Joe Beth's character died. Now, Joe Beth Williams plays my, uh, I play her younger sister. And um, she died in the first movie, if you saw Chantilly Lace. But she narrates beautifully this whole movie. And she's such a presence in it. You know, when you, every time I see her in the movie, I want to see more of her. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just so compelling. I knew Jo Beth a little bit because her husband, uh, John Pasquin, is like, you know, this extraordinary television director. He's one of the best out there. I mean, he uh, started Home Improvement the first two years he did it. And he also did Roseanne and Growing Pains and Last Man Standing and a whole bunch of other things. So very wealthy person. Um, <laughs> when you do the pilot, you're set. I, I loved John and I met Joe Beth a couple of times through, through John. And then Jill, I had met through my friend Jody Long because Jody did uh, Michael Tucker Jill's husband's play. And they did it like three times. They did the O'Neill, then they did it in New Jersey, and then they took it to New York. And I my friend, I saw all three. And, and so I met Jill a couple, because Jill was, of course, in all of these incarnations of the show. Um, Jill is the reason I have this job. Because Jill, uh, they, they, Linda called Jill and said, who can we get to be a younger Joe Beth Williams? And uh, Jill talked to her agent and the agent, I don't even know who this person is, suggested me. And 
what was what they didn't know was that um, back in the I don't know if it was late 70s or early 80s when I was still in New York, I went to a show at American Place Theater, getting ready to walk in. I see Chris Durang, the playwright, who I didn't know real well. I'd met him. But, you know, and I at that point, I didn't have bangs. You know, <laughs> and my hair was, was you know, the time in the 80s when it was all curly and big, you know. So my hair was curly and big and dark. And we're walking into the theater, and Chris goes, I really loved your work in Poltergeist. <laughs> And he knows her, he knows me. And I, I didn't, I can't even remember now whether I went, uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm not her. I, I don't even remember. I remember just being really shocked and kind of wandering into the theater, <laughs> being very complimented, by the way, because of course, Jo Beth is so gorgeous. Right. I, I want to talk about, these are um, at least what, let me see, Allie, Allie Sheedy came back, Lindsay Krauss, uh, Talia Shire, Jill Eikenberry, and then uh, Helen Slater. And now Helen has a daughter in the film, and she is now married to Joe Beth's ex-husband, which was something that came up in the Chantilly Lace movie. And now she's, you know, shown up, and and actually uh, the character of her husband is so talked about in this film that you start to get a sense of who he is. I liked, I think I must, as just as an audience person, I think people pick different because we all have our particular story or kind of theme we're running through. And I related so much to Helen, not in the communication problems with her daughter and just about every woman I know that has a daughter. <laughs> the same problem. Really? Really? I'm so comforted oh, by yes. that. I think we all do the one. And then I start talking to some of my other girlfriends and, and I'm like, Oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. What, you know, just to set it up a little bit for the listeners, because Bridget and I have both seen the movie. It's wonderful. And one of the things that we really found fascinating is that you weren't given a particular script to read off. You kind of were given parameters. It wasn't a script. It really wasn't. It was improv. And what it was, was an outline, and we knew what every scene was going to be and what should basically happen in that scene. Okay, this scene, we're going through uh, my mother's things, and I'm giving them out. And then we're then talking about whatever. Um, There are other scenes where Linda would go and secretly tell one person something that they were going to say or bring up that none of the rest of us knew was coming. Like, wow. uh, like the thing at the end, I won't say what it is, you know, at the very end with um, Helen and her daughter, that we had no idea that was coming. Oh, you know, wow. No mm-hmm. idea that whole plot line was coming up. So the, all of us were sitting there going, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and it was so wonderful because that was what kind of was happening all the time. And, and because <laughs> we're coming up with stories of our own sometimes, um, it was pretty funny. You know, I mean... When Helen came up with that, never mind. I won't go on. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> her sexual fantasy line. It was like uh, we all completely lost it. You know, we, we really and we were really losing it because we hadn't heard it and we couldn't believe she said it. And and so uh, that is such an alive part of this movie because it is so alive and in the moment. And we did have to go back and then repeat sometimes what was she has the first time. And then mm-hmm. we'd have to then go back and we're, you know, experienced enough actors where we can go back and and, and do the same reaction. <laughs> and do yeah. Oh, and wow. 
But all through the movie, you have probably a lot of that first response to things we didn't know. And, you know, like all I knew was that when I went into this was that I was the ugly duckling of the girl. You know, my sister was famous. My mother was famous. Mother was a big, famous commercial actress and film actress. And 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 um, Joe Beth's character had been um, a, a film reviewer who then later went into another kind of uh, TV journalism, but was also quite famous. And I was just the loser sister. And I wasn't really close with my sister, Jo Beth, and I, n- n- not really to my mother either, you know, and, um, and, and I don't know these women really. I mean, you know how you are with your sister's friends. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really nice to you, but they're not your friends. They're her friends. And so when everybody's first arriving and we have those first scenes, I'm still dealing with, uh, I've just gotten here and my mother's died and all of the complex things around that. And then welcoming them and thanking them for helping me do the house. And I'm kind of not one of them. And um, so there's that. And then as the movie goes along, we go three months later and then six months later, by the end of the movie, they have been so warm and welcoming to me uh, that I really feel apart. And, and, and they, that's why they're with me there at the end where they are, where I really need them. And, um, I, the people, the, if, if people go to Rotten Tomatoes, we were not able to get the big uh, critics, which was really kind of insulting. When we opened in New York at the Angelica, the Times, the, they were all like, well, there's too many other movies opening and we don't have time to come review you. And I thought, hmm, does that have anything to do with a bunch of older actresses and Women, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's women talk. Women talking had bigger stars and big, bigger direct, you know, and um, you know, I, it, it, it was kind of to me that's very insulting, and they should have done it. Uh, but you can look at there are a few reviews that are like you know mixed to good from reviewers you probably never heard of, and and then but I think the audience reviews are are important and great and. I think we're at like one place we're at like 90%, another place we're at 96% for audience. And the, the comments are really great. And it's what we've heard, you know, from people who've come. And, and so I'm really hoping that you can go on Amazon, Amazon Prime, Apple, iTunes, I think now Netflix, anything on demand. DirecTV, Verizon, whatever, Voodoo, you know, which always sells and rents movies. So it's kind of everywhere on demand. And you just, but you have to, because it's not in the top 10, you have to just go into search and search Chantilly Bridge. And then hopefully soon, um, Linda will bring back uh, Chantilly Lace as well. And they'll be able to run both of them together, which would be really fun. That would be great. The women in our film, you see them 30 years ago. And, and you might recognize them more from, I mean, you'll recognize Jill Eikenberry from LA Law. When you see her young, you'll go, Oh my God. Yeah. And Talia, of course. And, but you see them young and it's, I think it's an incredible thing to be able to have that. But in addition to the fact that they're so good, these women. You know, it's interesting because I was reading some of the reviews that people were posting and such positive responses. And one of them that stuck out for me was, one that said it was a genuine love letter to female friendship. It is. It, in fact, that's made, what made me sad, you know, because I, I mean, I have female friendships, but none of my, I have this friend back on the East Coast and this really close friend here, and they don't really know each other. And, you know, so, and then these other close friends here that don't know this other friend here, 
it's not like a group, you know, um, and, and, uh, and certainly not a group that goes back all those years and knows you so well. Mm-hmm. Um, knew your parents, knew your, you know. Uh, Talia's character is very close to my mother in the film, if you remember. And and there's a little bit for me, you know, this kind of thing you find in the process of a scene, you know, while we were doing the scene and she was, I wasn't really aware that she was so close to my mother or so near my mother in her days when she was sick or ill and right there. And, and I have the, I, I see myself doing this reaction that I didn't, I wasn't even aware that I was doing where Talia says something about my mom. And I'm like, great. You had a relationship with her. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's one of the hard things for me in that first scene, it, you know, is, um, cause I, I'm still kind of struggling with all of that. And, um, but I think my character has a huge arc in the film and, and, and many of them do, I think, which is another thing that's always interesting to watch because there's wonderful, funny surprises. In addition to things that will suddenly move you. Um, I just think it's like, Oh gosh, it's my favorite kind of film where you don't know that you're about to laugh or you don't know that you're about to cry. So your defenses are all down. I don't know. I just think Linda and Linda wrote things like the letter that I read in the, in the thing. And, um, and of course all of the narration that Joe Beth uh, does and, um, and every scene was, there was like, okay, this is the scene with this, is what it's about. This is where you are. Go. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. You seem like you were perfect for that when you talk about how your relationship, how you grew up with the friends and you were scattered. You know, I grew up pretty lonely, actually, because I had three sisters and the two older ones were horrible to me and the younger one was too much younger, so I was horrible to her. And so, and we were moving. So you're moving to a new place and the only people you have are your family. And my sisters, you know. I have nine, so I know. Nine sisters. Yeah. Oh my God! No, no boys at all. Two boys. Two boys. There were twelve oh, kids. See, my, they kept trying and being oh. disappointed, and and they finally oh. gave up after. Four. I have three sisters, so I get you it. Do? Four of us, yeah. but I'm the youngest. Yeah, uh, I'm number three, which is the bad place to be. You don't want to be the middle kid. Yeah. My middle ones were twins, so it was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they well, kind of much older than. There, are, the twins are four years, and then my oldest sister is six different. Tell me this: Did your twin sisters bond with each other more or did one of them maybe bond with one of the other sisters more than her twin the, definitely the twins bonded more the twins See, bond i have twins but my twins are boy girl you know i tried to have them in different classes they went to the same school but i tried to have them in the same classes and never have them do anything but you know it was really difficult um yeah. Between them, they're, you know, it's gotten much better now that they're 32 and my mm-hmm. daughter is actually getting married in a week and a half. Oh, oh my goodness. Congratulations. Yes. Yes. We're so lucky. I, he's, she's been with this guy for like almost 10 years. We all adore him. And my daughter-in-law is perfect. Uh-huh. I mean, you could not ask for a better mother for your grand. She's a much better mother than I was. And <laughs> really, I'm like, I wish I had been more like you. Um <laughs> She's awesome. And, and we're so uh, lucky that the two people that have come in to the family so far are somebody that we all love and adore. It's interesting. How hard was it? You had just had the twins when you started home improvement. Oh gosh. How hard was that? It was really hard because I had a high risk pregnancy and I ended up in bed the last at least four months. Yeah. And so then 
they were born and we were, I was they were born three weeks early and there were 15 pounds of twins. Wow. wow. Because it turned out I was diabetic in the pregnancy. So you have really huge babies. So, um, so then like right away, they started with the colic, both of them. So then the first, as they say, three months, it was just colic, colic, colic. And my ex-husband now, ex-husband and I were like all the time up all night walking. One would take one, one would take the other, walking them and trying to, and there was just nothing you can do really. And, and then it stopped just as it's supposed to at three months. And then just when it stopped, like a week later, we're finally sleeping through the night. <laughs> and, and I was already signed with Disney and ABC to do a dramedy that was written by the people who did the Wonder Years. And it was called... It was called Home Movies, ironically. And I was going to do it with Danny Stern first. We were a young couple, just had a baby. And so then Danny, he got something, and so he couldn't do it. So then Paul Reiser was going to do it. And then his Cadillac movie came, Cadillac Man movie came out. And he was like, no, I'm going to have a film career. I don't want to do this. So then he didn't do it. And then they brought in Michael Chiklis to read with me. And, and then they gave the commission to him. So I still didn't have a husband, but I didn't care because we weren't going to start working on that until like September, October. And this is March or, you know, so, um, I, I just thought, oh, great. That gives me more time to lose the weight and be with the babies. And, you know, that's what I wanted. And then one day, uh, my agent calls and says, they've canceled home movies. Now they'd already given me a holding fee. And, and I was like, Oh, and so they could hold me until December, which is now March, right? And keep me from doing anything else. And so they said, but Disney wants you to start tomorrow on a show called Home Improvement and replace someone. And they were going to shoot the pilot. This was Wednesday. They were going to shoot the pilot Friday. Now they will shoot it the following Tuesday and you'll rehearse Thursday, Friday, maybe Saturday, Monday, do camera blocking and and Tuesday shoot it. And I hadn't worked in a year because of, you know, the pregnancy and all that. And so I, I was like, I didn't want to do another sitcom. I'd already done three. And I really didn't, I'd always avoided playing a wife because they're always thankless parts. And, and so I was like, eh, I don't want to do a thankless wife part. Eh, I don't want to do that. And, and they sent me, um, they said, okay, well, this guy's really great. And I had never heard Tim. He had had a Showtime special, but other than that. So they sent that to me and Ray. And we watched it. And Ray, of course, being a man who does a lot of building, loved it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, he's good. He's pretty funny. He, you know, he's a, he's a guy guy thing. But, you know, he's, he seems good. And then they told me the, the clincher, which was that the producers were the original producers for Roseanne, that they'd created it. And it was my favorite show. I adored her. And uh, I just liked her. I mean, I adored her as a mother and a wife. Every time she came on a commercial, I was like, how great to see somebody real, talking in a real way, and not trying to look like Donna Reed. And, you, you know, I, I was mm-hmm. just, and it's okay for her to be so smart and blunt. And, you know, I thought it was fantastic. So when I heard it was them, then I went, okay, I'm going to go talk to them. So I went and talked to them. They lied to me for like an hour or two about what the show was going to be. Yeah, really. Not, yeah, about both of them. It's just as much about this book you don't understand by Deborah Tannenbaum as it is about Iron John. We can't just have a show about a guy blowing up things all the time. He has to have somebody to push against, and 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 so you, it's feminism against masculinism. And so you'll have family and friends, and you're you're going to get a job, and you'll have you know. So I thought it would be more like Mad About You. Mm-hmm. And oh, then okay. the whole first year they wouldn't let me do a scene by myself unless Tim came into it. 
you know, I, and and I couldn't understand it. I was there being really complimentary about my work, but they wouldn't trust me in a scene unless two was in it. And so I, I would start it after a while at this, by the second year. I, I didn't mind the first year because I had babies in the dressing room the whole time. And I was so happy to be with them anytime I could. I was like, great, fine. And, but by the second year, I'm like, are they ever going to develop this character? And so every time I would ask this one producer, his response would be, but the audience loves you. And I go, okay, so why are you not developing her? But the audience loves you. It was a circular conversation, not ever getting anywhere. But uh, we had new producers come in the next year. The, the original three went away, and these new guys came in. And Elliot Shoneman, who created the Bill Cosby show, was now our executive producer. And uh, I went in to talk to him, and he knew I was pretty unhappy. And he said um, that we could, they could do like maybe we did 25 shows a year that we could do four or five that would be Jill driven shows. And that would at least give me something to look forward to where I wasn't always playing the same scene over and over and over again. And so that, that got me to stay. And, um, and then, you know, I, I always, every year I had, uh, you know, a couple of shows that were challenging and were interesting to do. One, one oh. interesting thing with home improvement was that, and I had heard you speak about this, it, it was a room full of men. And then you go to Chantilly Bridge and it's a room full of women. Actually, then that? I went to Strong Medicine, which was a woman's ER. Oh, and that's okay. why I, I took it partially because it wasn't a seven year contract. And I didn't want to be away from my kids that long ever again. And so uh, I took it because they gave me three years and a four day week. And only one of those days I had the kids. And so I, it, it was so hard for me to do both. I'm very tunnel visioned, you know? And so it was really always really hard for me to make sure that I was doing the best workout I could and not, and not, and not forgetting the kids. And I didn't have help. I didn't have any live in help because I didn't want another person I have to take care of. But also I didn't want that person between me and the kids, you know, like on the weekends, and, and at night, I just wanted to be alone with them. And if you have that live and help, there's always a stranger in your midst. It, it's not the same, but it's a little harder, you know, to, um, to make sure that you're covering everything. And, uh, and, and home improvement was a very demanding job. We were, we had much longer days than any other sitcom in town. Um, uh, you know, all the things involved on that show. I mean, all the, little whatever uh well, we wrote yeah. almost every day uh, every, you know and we were writing on our feet sometimes and oh. and tim and i had input into the script every monday as soon as the first read through was over then we would go in and at first and that's you probably heard me talking about that i was so intimidated I, i'd been years in new york and here being the actor on the lowest part of the totem pole and the idea of um telling a producer writer this isn't working. This is not good. You know, where's the story? If you're just going for jokes where, you know, this, you need, you know, you're the ones that are telling all the other writers. They literally gave the writers baseball hats that said, what's the story. And we're really trying to focus on that. But then, you know, as time went on, we got more and more scripts that were just be, I'd be like, okay, guys, I finally got my nerve out. Okay. You have four plots. You could only have two. You have A story, B story. Wilson scene has to be about one of those. You can't then have A story, B story, C story, and then have the Wilson story about one of these other minor ones. It's got to be that. That's the, the structure of the show. And, and the structure is also, what do we want? What are we trying to get? What is happening? And how are we dealing with that? It's not about setting up a joke you can see a million miles away coming which we started getting. 
And so that's, you know, I got in trouble for saying something about that on the e. Hollywood True Story. And then, unfortunately, they decided to make me the bad guy of that whole piece because they couldn't get Jonathan in and they were going to pick on him. But, uh, and they, uh, they, when they cut it, they cut everything, making it look like I had been demanding more from my part, which I didn't have to do. I was already getting at least four shows a year. I was never advocating for myself to be in more. I was advocating for the script to be about story and character and not about jokes. I mean, to me, humor comes out of the other things, you know, uh, it, but you know, the e. Hollywood true story really kind of screwed me up because they made me look really bad. Oh, gosh. Um, but um, I, I did not see that one. So there. <laughs> yeah. I was doing West Wing when it came out. And I remember talking to Lawrence O'Donnell one night and we were leaving the stage and Lawrence wrote all of my episodes because I was the Republicans. You know, we were like I did like nine episodes of that. and We were all the Republicans. And he wrote all he wrote a lot of the Republican episodes. And uh, I wrote Matt and I said, this story thing has come out and I think it's totally screwing up my whole career. It makes me look so bad. And, and I said, I'm just, you know, really hoping that nobody's watching it. And Lawrence being so comforting, he says, oh, that's what we all watch in the middle of the night when we can't sleep. We all watch it then. It's like three o'clock in the morning. We all watch it. I'm like, okay, so I'll never work Thanks, again. Thanks, Lawrence. Uh, yeah, well, I, I was like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, West Wing I'll, is one of my favorite shows oh, yeah. ever. I, I just... I love. I was so honored and still so honored to have ever been in it. Unfortunately, my dad was dying all during the time that it was happening. And in fact, died in the middle of one of the episodes. The day after I met John Spencer, I had to go fly and be with my father his last four days. And, and then the next day we were having a dinner at my aunt's house and my publicist called me and said, John Spencer had died. Oh, oh yeah. I had just met him. That was so sweet to me. He was the nicest person. And by the way, everyone on that set worshipped him, loved him. And he had had a heart attack before. And so they all started blaming themselves because they shouldn't have given him this plot line. It was too much for him. He insisted he could do it, but it was too much work. And then they're feeling guilty. And it was they were so upset. And so when I went, we had to go back to another episode. We had to rewrite the whole election part two and, and had to go back and do that. When I was still, you know, pretty rocked and I walk into like uh, rooms full of people who are so grief stricken and just trying to deal, you know, and that was the rest of the season. Everybody was just trying to deal with getting through the rest of the season while carrying this grief, you know. So I, I tell people sometimes that if I still have to go to gate seven at Warner Brothers, I have a kind of... PTSD, you know, it's like I drive through to eight, seven, you know, that gate. And I'm like, oh, you know, remembering those last episodes of, you know, having to go there and, and do it. Now I have to thank again, Alan Alda and Stephen Root, who were so funny and dear. Ron Silver is now passed, um, who were so dear during all this time when they knew this was going on. And they, they, I would just go and try to forget about it and they would be funny and, and oh, they were so great. And and got me through it. And Alan Alda is a prince among men. I've heard that from, uh, we've heard that from Bess Armstrong as well, didn't we? And you know, your father, when I was reading um, PSP, I had never heard of it before. No one read about it. 
Yes. I, I've been, I was, I've been, I was on the board of Care PSP for 10 years and I was their spokesperson. I still am if they ever need me. They just don't spend their money on doing like big parties or, or, you know, commercials or anything. They spend their money on research and outreach to, um, we now have, um, groups all over the country so that patients and their caregivers, more importantly, caregivers can go and be with other people who are dealing with this because it is so hard. And, and so, you know, these groups have just grown and mushroomed all over the country. And then they have, you know, um, symposiums a couple times a year that people can come to find out the latest. The science has really improved. There's still not a cure, but there are things that are hopeful. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the last thing I heard, it's because I've kind of been out of the research thing now, is that they're working with antibodies and that there's some people at University of Pennsylvania that were having some success with antibody work. And now the other thing that's happened that's great for Cure PSP is that Big Pharma is really interested and they've started doing trials because our disease is only tau protein multiplying in your brain, which by the way is the same protein that uh, people with head injuries, the, the Vietnam, the, the, Afghan, the vets and football players have. They, they get tau in their brain, that same. It looks like nicotine. When you see pictures of the brain that has it, it's kind of brown and it looks like nicotine in the brain. And with the, there's so many different diseases that are brain diseases. And it wasn't until Stanley Prusner, maybe 30 years ago now, maybe, uh, solved mad cow disease that he figured out that all brain diseases are what he calls prion, which means infectious protein. And before that, we never knew that anything could spread and be infectious except viruses and bacteria. And he said, "Mm -mm, these are proteins over multiplying and taking over the brain. But with mad cow, the reason it jumped from animals to people was because it was happening so fast. But Alzheimer's, you know, ALS, Parkinson's, um, our, we cover um, we cover like three different other ones that are rare. Frontal temporal de- dementia is very much like all of this. This is why Linda Ronsant can't sing anymore. She has it um, that which is you know very similar to all the rest of these, and it's just each one. But the thing about Alzheimer's, which is the biggest killer of more people, is that it's tau and it's also another protein. But they think if they could take a disease like ours, where it's only one protein. PSP, then if they can figure out how to stop that protein from multiplying one way or another before it leaves the cell, after it leaves the cell, whatever, um, then they can, they think they can solve Alzheimer's. So they're now, we've, I think we have, at least the last I heard, I thought we had like three trials going. We are going to leave it there for the second part to start on Friday. So again, guys, make sure you're following us on all forms of social media because we have a big announcement coming tomorrow and we will tell you all about it on Friday's second part to Patricia Richardson. Have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you on Friday. Bye.